So first, I'm going to talk to you about smart giving, or smarter ways to donate. This is a, a reformatted version of the presentation I gave at Skepticamp a couple weeks ago. About two years ago, I gave a presentation that talked about the importance of helping people in extreme poverty. And that was highly inspired by Peter Singer's book, The Life You Can Save. This was actually a, a Skepticamp presentation I did a couple years ago. And that's uh, episode 67, where I presented wow. yeah, way back. Double digits. Right. And that sort of leads you through this thought experiment of the child drowning in a pond. Do you go in and sacrifice something to help them? And therefore, you should make similar sacrifices. So I won't go through that, but check mm -hmm. it out, 67, if you want. I'm happy to talk about that subject extensively. We just won't be doing that tonight. So uh, that, Darren, is that the is that the one where you wrote a really cool parody that I did a Tom Waits song for? Yes, it is. Pat. Oh, fun! Yes, that I quite yeah. I remember finding that sort of serendipitously a couple of months ago. I'm like, that was well done, Pat. Right. Yeah, that was a right. good one. So 67. Even just listen for the first minute for the beauty of that song. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you're Tom Waits fan, and might just want to skip ahead because the first segment is actually about blood type. <laughs> That's true. The first segment is about blood type, but you know there are some interesting points in that too. Yeah, Darren's segment just wasn't a leading segment in that episode. Thank you, Adam, for that. <laughs> so this segment takes it as an assumption that you already want to give to charity. You already want to donate in some way. Right, I'm not trying to convince you that you should. That was the other thing. But this is that you're already going to. And this segment is highly inspired by and draws upon the work of people like Dean Carlin, uh, who wrote a book called More Than Good Intentions, as well as Banerjee and Duflo, two economists in the world of international development, who wrote a book called Poor Economics. As well, Carlin wrote a Freakonomics post about smarter ways to give. And they do a lot of research on trying to find out what actually works and what doesn't. Trying to really bring that scientific mindset of reason and evidence to evaluate when charities have programs or actions or policies, they try to do some good in the world, is what they're doing actually good. And of course, there isn't enough rigor at the moment in many of these so-called interventions, so it's hard to say if things work or not. So just as a general outline, I'm going to start with a key overall message and then give you five smart giving tips, and then we're going to talk a bit about theory and practice. So the overall message is to start with your heart. So if you picture some horrific scene, like someone in a famine, or a situation with perhaps you're passing a homeless person on the street and you can't even look at them, these situations sort of bring something like sadness, maybe frustration, anxiety, uh, maybe even anger. There's sort of something negative in the world that you don't want really to be that way and you're seeing someone suffering and it's not a good thing and I think this is sort of what caring is so that, that's part of what it is so you, you should try to use this compassion to inspire action right? but it's not just random action you want to start with your heart but give with your head <laughs> that's the main message and I'll give two examples to explain what I mean the first involves the food bank and I spoke about this on episode 223 talking about canned food drives and so a quick summary of that was that if you're donating to the food bank, a lot of people bring a can to the food bank, or actually they go to the store and they get the can, then they bring it home, then they bring it to their church or community center, then from the community center, it goes to the food bank and then it has to be sorted and so on. And it turns out that a lot of food banks can buy food at a fraction of what you pay for the food. So if you're spending $2 to buy some food, they might be able to buy five or 10 times as much food for the same price. And this is the idea that if you want to help them, it would make more sense in that case to give them money, not food. Similarly, as I mentioned, all these transaction costs of you getting a can, doing this, moving here, moving there, then them having to sort it, that's not really the most efficient way to do things at all. So with our using our head here, we want to help people, you would actually give them money. The food bank doesn't need food. Sounds odd to say, but there you go. Mm -hmm. Another example was uh, different barriers to education in a rural town in India. 
So Caroline Fiennes talked about this, citing some research from the Action Poverty Lab, where there were various reasons why children weren't going to school in this town of Tamil Nadu. And one of what was transportation. It's pretty rural just to even get to the school. Uh, another issue was that they didn't have uniforms, and because that, that's required that children just wouldn't go if they didn't have appropriate uniforms. Uh, still another reason was perhaps the child had to stay at home to either work in the field or take care of a relative or sibling. Another, still another reason was that the children might suffer from intestinal worms, which is debilitating enough to cause pain, malaise, and the inability to attend school. So if you're thinking about this, there's different reasons. There's even more than those four, and of course they overlap a bit. But if you're trying to get children to school, what do you do? Well, you could provide a cash transfer to the parents so they don't need to keep the children at home. And that apparently is for about $1,000, you can get one kid to go to school for the year. Another approach would be to get uniforms. And for the same price, you can probably get about 10 uniforms. Okay? And still another option would be to uh, provide deworming. And deworming apparently only costs about $40. So for the same $1,000, you could have 25 children attend school going the deworming route. And the whole point of this was to illustrate that, I mean, it sounds obvious, but it still needs to be said, that some actions are better than others. And even more so, that some charities are better than others. And it could be that even if your charity was really efficient doing the cash transfer, it still couldn't get as many kids to school as the deworming, just because of the difference in numbers. And then that segues to the first of the five smart giving tips. Number one, ask how much good is generated for every dollar I give. Really, what does your donation do? You should be asking this yourself. You should be asking it to the charity. And of course, if the charity can't answer you, that itself is a problem. But it's the main idea of just what exactly is the effect of you donating and how much good can be generated. A lot of people might use administration costs as a heuristic to determine if a charity is worth donating to. Some charity evaluators use this as their main source of of a metric. And this is only useful, I think, in a gross sense. So if something's higher than, say, 25-30% as administrative costs, then that might be problematic. But when it gets down to lower numbers, like 7 versus 9% or 11%, it's not as important. And Dean Carlin provides a good example of this. He was saying, what if an organization or two organizations have two different business models? They both want to provide clean water. So one of them is trying to clean up existing wells, right? Another one is trying to clean up the water sources themselves, right? The actual purification of the water. It doesn't really matter to you which one spends more on like copier toner or even legal costs. That's not, that shouldn't be important to you. What you should care about is who's going to get more clean water, Hmm. right? I mean, you could care more about which one has an environmental impact and so on and so on. But generally speaking, certain administrative issues, that's not what you need to worry about. Yeah, Second, you want to know what the results are. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Are more people helped through this intervention? Yeah. Well, and it almost seems like you would want to know what the results are. Uh, each dollar provides X amount of right. clean water. Which, right? which, to be fair, is is maybe going to have to be a bit of a, an a overall extraction, sure, right? an abstract, of because, sure. of course, there's diminishing returns and who knows what every dollar does. But, yeah, you could generally, you better have some answer that you got something from this. Well, moreover than how many people are going to be helped, right? Because one organization may have 10 million and one organization might have Exactly, 10, yeah. exactly. And this goes to the general point of effectiveness, not just what looks or feels good. And so we know... 
We use randomized control trials in the world of science to figure out if something actually works or not. It's not enough to give someone a treatment and say for them to get better, especially in the world of medicine, but you want to find out that would they have gotten better anyway. You need some sort of control group. And this type of practice is not that common in international development, at least at this stage. So those yeah. researchers I mentioned before, Carlin and Duflo and Energy, they are promoting this idea of greater rigor involved in international development and the charities themselves. And so sometimes uh, those charities which have slightly higher administration costs are actually doing this research, which is really what you want to have happen in the world, huh. and you shouldn't ding them for it because it's buried somewhere and you don't quite know. So that's where that administrative cost is. Sometimes. It could be. Again, yeah. it's, it's what do you care about? What's the bang for the buck, right? Yeah. And, and finally, financial categories can be a bit fluid. That's what counts as uh, research or administration or internal advertising or this. It might be slightly different from organization to organization, and they might could put a couple percentages here and a couple percentages in there, not because it's nefarious, just because there's not necessarily entirely consistency because there are thousands of different charities out there. Maybe those administrative fees go to you know, running the organization more f- smoothly to better distribute f- future money or anything. Well, right? Exactly. There's a whole multitude of things. So it's really how much good is generated for every dollar I give. That's the main one. Yep. But that said, there are a lot of organizations that have been criticized for having far too much of Totally. Right. Problems. That's why when I was saying, okay. like, if it's above 25 or 30, you can probably then say forget it yeah. as a charity. And especially when you hear of some of them, like, you know, they're, they're outsourcing their fundraising and those people are getting the bulk of the money. It's just it's kind of sickening, right? Mm-hmm. Some kid comes to your door right. and pockets half of it because of the way that. Yeah, exactly. And even be that. Yeah, okay. Just works. very quickly be aware that sometimes your charity will never send someone door to door. So if someone comes to your door from that charity, it's not actually from the charity. Well, right? it could, yeah, it yeah. could be pocketing 100% it's, if they're not yeah, on exactly. Yeah. That leads us to smart giving tip number two. Don't restrict your donation. Many charities promote the option of targeting your donation to a specific region or a cause or a program or even a good, like a goat or a chicken. Goat that sounds like man? Uh, and they do this because... It makes you more likely to give. It seems something is more tangible to you that you helped a specific region on earth or you bought a family a goat. You can understand that better. You feel better. You donate more. The thing is, this is just less effective for the charity. It's better for them to be able to move your donation wherever it is needed most for their purposes. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of odd that if you trust them to use your money at all in the first place, you can also trust them to use it wisely because that's what they're doing. This is what they do every day and that's what their business is. They know better than me who needs a goat. It, pretty much. But, um, Darren, I don't, I don't think that you can, you can uh, completely erase the fact that some things will resonate with people more than others. Oh, very much so. Very much so. So it is asking someone, it's almost like a different uh, understanding of what giving is. If Part of this presentation that I gave and the segment I'm doing now is to uh, request that someone try to examine their own reasons for giving and why they're doing it. Right? And a lot of it is to alleviate that sense of uh, sort of negativity or suffering you feel. Hmm. But if you really want to flip it and your goal is to reduce suffering in the world or generate the most amount of good, then it really isn't whether you feel better if someone got a goat. It's that you know that uh, people in general have been helped because you've given some money or donated. And actually, that's almost what I'm saying. Trade the tangibility for the satisfaction of an increased impact. Or. Oh. Or at least, or maybe you can even turn the satisfaction of the increased impact into that, you know, feed that back into that good feeling. Well, exactly. And even if you want, you could just do equivalents. Like, well, yeah. this was equivalent to four chickens, even though, you know, mm-hmm. it's hard. To, and, and actually, some of them, when you talk about, say, sponsoring a child, sometimes you sponsor an actual child. Yeah. And sometimes you 
contribute to a general fund which sponsors a village because it's actually really silly to sponsor just one child. That's not a good way to do development, but it, people can connect with that. Right? And the next kid's waiting for his right sponsor. Yeah, no, right next door, or the next, you know, <laughs> the, the, but the other sibling in the in the small rural village doesn't have anything. And so often, if you look at the small fine print, sometimes you're not actually buying that literal thing mm-hmm. because they know they can't do it that way. It's not a good way to do it. Yeah, but but hasn't that model of donating to one child the the Christian Children's Fund is what immediately right. pops to mm-hmm. mind, or buying a goat, or buying something that you can you can put a name, a face, or a right. picture on. Doesn't that drive up? Yes. Donations? So from the charity's perspective, they probably should do these things because they get more donations. And I know I know that you're repeating That's yourself okay. now by saying that the the people that you're you're now speaking to, you hope that they'll get over that and. But I mean, there is the side of there. There's one side of it that says, you know, if if you can think rationally and you can look at this uh, from the perspective that you're trying to present, you will give money and let the charities do what they think is right. But I, I don't think we can discount the idea that um, the charities have come up with a, a way to make it real to. Like, oh, very much so. I completely agree. It's really sort okay. of where okay. which side you're on. Again, from the charity's perspective, this is good policy. They get more donations. I believe. I don't actually have data, but I believe that's true. And people do sincerely feel better. Like, honestly, even I, yeah, I said you, you have this feeling of tangibility, which is satisfying. And then it's sometimes hard to stuff that down and realize you're doing a, more good by giving a general donation. Yeah. Smart giving tip number three is to focus on only a few charities. So there's these common expressions we have in our, our parlance of our times, which is, you know, diversify your portfolio mm. or spread the wealth. In some ways, this makes a lot of sense, but in the world of donating to charities, you have to realize that every time you donate to a charity, there is a cost. There is a transaction cost. This donation has to be processed financially, either through computer program or human. There are costs of time, resources, and perhaps money communicating with donors. So if you donate to many, many charities, you are driving up the amount of transactions that are occurring, which is actually reducing the efficiency of your donation. Sure. So again, for some donors, they prefer it that way, and they will psychologically give more doing that. Like the overall point of this segment is not to reduce your amount of donations, but to provide tips if you want to try to be more efficient and effective. Just, just think that any charity, if they had half as many people donating twice as much money, they would just do better. Yes, that's exactly it. Um, and if you say donate to 15 different charities, small amounts, uh, as I said before, not all charities are going to be equal. So it could be your 13th best charity. Every dollar to them is actually taking away a dollar to the best charity. Yeah. So you're actually like losing out on your own ability to maximize because of the idea of so-called spreading the wealth around, which, again, I understand why it's personally satisfying. But if you're really just trying to maximize the impact, you would donate to just a few charities or only one, perhaps. Smart giving tip number four. Help you help you. And this is the idea of helping yourself to achieve your own goals. And we, almost all of us, have been in the situation where you want to achieve a goal, as quitting something, exercising more, eating better, and you sincerely want to achieve it, and you don't, because we're human, and we're flawed, and we sometimes don't achieve our own goals. Mm-hmm. But there are mechanisms you can put in place to try to help you achieve these goals. And one of them, at least in the world of charitable donations, could be to have automatic monthly donations, uh, perhaps deducted from your paycheck, if that's an off- option at work, or monthly donations, say, charged to a credit card where it's a regular situation and you can sort of prepare your budget around that. 
Uh, another option could be to try to make giving a, a social thing where you get a group of friends together, you talk about how you're going to do it, which organization you're going to go donate to, and then you reinforce each other through either you know playfulness or pressure to actually follow through on your commitment. The more it seems that you make a public commitment to do something, the more likely you are to actually follow through on it. If any listener wants me to write them harassment emails, pressuring <laughs> them to donate the charges, let me know and I'll be happy to do it. We could set up a service. We could set up awesome. a service, an automatic ping back there. There are mechanisms. There are things online to help you do such things. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, say you feel very financially constrained and you still mm-hmm. want to figure out some way to help. Well, maybe you trying to sacrifice some small discretionary item. If you buy coffee, say, twice a week, maybe you buy it once a week. Or every other week you buy it twice, right? And this 2 or $3 then adds up a bit and you can do something if that's the route you want to go. Smart giving tip number five. How is the charity ranked? There are various charity evaluators out there. Charity Navigator is one of them. I think it's gotten better over the past couple of years because they've broadened how they measure things. But personally, I think GiveWell.org is the best one. And they spend a lot of time uh, extensively looking into rigorously whether a charity is doing what it says it, it does. And often, as I said, most charities are not at the stage where they're doing systematic, randomized control trials of their interventions. Uh, sometimes because they uh, either haven't thought about it, they don't have the capacity. Sometimes it can be hard to convince donors to study these things because they don't quite understand. Like, why aren't you just like giving those people food? Why would you like purposely have a group of people you're not giving food to? Unless you're sort of from the scientific realm, it may not be intuitively obvious why that's a, a useful thing. Um, and GiveWell rejects about 98% of the charities they look at. Wow. Right. So they're trying to say not that they're all horrible, but they're just not as good as the ones that can demonstrate that they actually do something useful. And to be fair, some charities say if you're trying to promote human rights, it's going to be very difficult to measure the impact of that, Mm -hmm. even though I think there is going to be some impact of the actions of some organizations. Um, We usually don't support deference to authority, and I'm not really promoting that here, but if you happen to be either really pressed for time or lazy, then you could just try to trust some famous philanthropist. Mm -hmm. If you sort of like what Bill Gates is doing at the Bill Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, just donate to them. If you're inspired by Peter Singer, there's the Life You Can Save organization, and you could donate money there. So or you can trust the Darren McKee Foundation. <laughs> yes, you could trust Darren McKee. That's, that's what, that is another option. No, no, don't send money. <laughs> <laughs> I don't no, want to get the wrong not, idea. not at all. So that was smart giving in theory. And just a quick summary. I was saying before, assuming that we should help people, especially those in extreme poverty, we should be using reason and evidence regarding effectiveness, mm. and we should also be narrowing our charitable focus, not restricting our donations, um, putting in mechanisms to help yourself achieve your own goals, like making a public commitment or doing things socially, as well as using charity evaluators. So that was, you know, in theory. And what about practice? Well, in practice, following everything that I've just said, I think that means donating to the Against Malaria Foundation. Yes, this is just my personal opinion. The guys aren't necessarily on board with this because they haven't looked into it as much or at all. But I think if you are concerned by all these things, maximize your impact, it would be the Against Malaria Foundation if someone is looking for uh, charity, if they're curious. And basically they provide anti-malarial or insecticide-treated bed nets. Malaria is very debilitating. It affects hundreds of millions of people each year. Uh, Several million die. And... It's mainly transmitted by mosquitoes. And if you sleep under a bed net, the mosquitoes are less likely to bite you because they can't get through the net. And if they're treated with insecticide, if the mosquito touches the net, it dies. So it's been shown as a proven impact that if you are under an insecticide-treated bed net, you are less likely to get malaria. And this organization buys bed nets. 
And because they have their, like, they only have two or three people that actually work there, because uh, there's a lot of pro bono people, those are salaries of those people are covered by private donations, and they partner with other organizations to distribute the nets. The administration costs are actually close to zero. And as I said, it's not the, the be-all, end-all, but that's one good sign. As well, they're very cost-effective, rigorous, transparent. They're GiveWell's number one ranked charity. There's a lot of information on their website, the Against Malaria Foundation, as well as GiveWell has tons of information evaluating it, the discussions they've had, different years that they've looked into different things they've done and ways to improve upon it. So that is the in practice. Now, what about real practice? Well, here you go. Here's my public commitment. If you donate to this charity, I will match your donation. If you donate to the Against Malaria Foundation in the year 2013, I will match your contribution up to a total maximum of $20,000. That's pretty good. What if two people donate $20,000? That's the total. <laughs> then that's fantastic, but I'm not prepared to match that. <laughs> so this was the idea of taking everything that I've been able to research and look into using the rigor and science and saying, this I think is a great charity, and then I'm making a public commitment and then trying to motivate others to do so. Wow. it's a lot of nets. Indeed it is. So if you're interested, you can go to a link in the show notes. There's a website, reducesuffering.weebly.com, W-E-E-B-L-Y. And as I said, generally, start with your heart, but give with your head.